Good morning, everyone. It's time to begin our morning worship. We'd like to take this time to welcome each and every one that's here, especially those of you that are visiting with us. I'd like to invite you back this evening again at 6 o'clock for our evening service. It's good to see Doug and Ann Booten here today. Always good to see family and friends when they return home. Got a couple announcements before we begin, then Brian will have all the announcements at the end. Children's Bible Hour will be this morning. This is three years old through fourth grade. That John will dismiss those at the appropriate time. Phil Smith and Rhonda Morris. Phil's a guy that Gary and I and some of the others have graduated from high school with. His son, Heath, passed away unexpectedly this week. If you'd keep Phil Smith and, and, and Heath's wife, Jan, in your prayers, I'm sure they'd appreciate it, and his mother, Rhonda. Eloise Hayes fell Friday night, Hazel, and was in the hospital yesterday, and she's now home, correct? Okay, she's at home, so keep Eloise in your prayers. Remember, upcoming date, Vacation Bible School, July the 25th. Sunday for the Savior, June 6th. That's 5 p.m. this evening as we get everything back to normal. Took, fift took 15 months. We thought it would take two weeks. I'm just glad to be here. I'd like to read before we begin this morning Psalms 95, verses 1 through 7, if you'd like to follow along. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of your salvation, our salvation. Let us become before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. In his hand are the deep places of the earth. The heights of the hills are his also. The sea is his, for he made it. And his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we are thankful for another day of life, for this beautiful Lord's Day that we can come and worship you in songs and hymns and hear another lesson from your word. Father, we pray for those that are been mentioned this morning that you be with the Smith family at be with Jan and Phil and Rhonda at the passing of her husband and their son. Give them strength. Be with Sister Eloise and help her and pray that she's recovering well. We pray for our Vacation Bible School this summer, that you 
Bless us in that effort and that we can touch many souls. We ask your blessings on our others that are sick and our shut-ins. Also be with those that have lost loved ones. Bless us through this next hour of worship that you be with John. And as he leads us in the singings, we surround that table and Chris as he presents us with a lesson. We pray that the things we do will be in accordance with your will and pleasing unto you. In thy son's name we pray and amen. Would you stand for the first song, please? First hymn this morning, number 243, 243, home of the soul. <clears throat> Yet for the price we have driven, after our neighbors are Rest your souls will be given on the eternal shore. Home of the soul, beautiful home, there you shall rest, never to roam, free from all care, happy and bright. Jesus is there, he is alive, walking the shore, lonely. Next hymn, number 242, 242, How Beautiful Heaven Must Be. After this hymn, Brother Casey Baker will have our scripture reading and prayer. We read of a place that's called heaven. It's made for the 
The scripture this morning comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning thankful for the blessings that you've given us, Father, the day, this house of worship, Father this congregation, all the material blessings we have, Father, because we, we know that they are gifts from you, and we pray, Father, that we use those blessings in a way that glorifies your name and is worthy of your grace. Father, we pray for those who are on our sick list, Father. We pray for their health, for their recovery, Father, we pray for those who are not here this morning, Father, for whatever reason. We pray that you comfort them and, and bless them with, with the peace that they need, Father. We pray that, that all of us go through our lives, Father, in a way that is deserving of your name and your love. Father, forgive us when we fall short, when we sin. Keep us safe. Watch over us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 384. 
Lead me to Calvary. We'll sing the first, second, and last verse. King of my life, my family now, thine shall The week before his crucifixion, uh, Jesus went from a mighty high to a pretty pretty low low. Uh, as he entered the into Jerusalem, he was greeted as a king, and everyone was singing Hosanna and, and so happy. And the night that he had his his final supper with his disciples. Um, he stopped at one point and took off part of his clothing and started to wash his disciples' feet. Now this man who others were, were singing the praises and they're all thinking the king's here and ready to roll, this king is now washing my feet. Um, also, you know, it's surprising too when you think about it, he, he must have washed Judas's feet too at that point because Judas had not left. But this king showed us life 
how we should live, we should be humble, and we should love one another. His whole life was about, I think, teaching us that God has created this wonderful world for us, and we, we kind of take it for granted. We take each other for granted. And I think he wanted us to, to learn that we need to love one another. I mean, he, he told people, that's what I want you to do is to, to love one another. He showed us the, the ultimate example of love by offering his body on that cross. He didn't have to do that, but it was, it was something that needed to be done, and he went through with it. Paul reminds us in Corinthians, because the, the people back then had kind of a, were kind of getting out of the swing, so to say, of what Lord's Supper is really supposed to be about. And he reminded them in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The night the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's what we're doing here this day. Jesus taught us to love, and he showed us that I gave my life. I love you so much, I gave my life, and I want you to remember that. And so today we are proclaiming his death through this supper. Let's bow our heads, please. Our wonderful and kind Father in heaven, we, we love you so much, Father. And we, we're so grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus, that he gave his life, that through and by him we might have life. Father, now as we partake of this bread, the emblem of your son's body, we pray, Father, that you, you would bless it. We pray, Father, you'd be with each and every one of us in our, in our hearts and make sure we are doing so in a correct manner. May we always, always strive to love one another, to spread your word and do what's right. Father, again, thank you so much. And it's in Christ that we pray. Amen. like manner, let's offer now a prayer for the fruit of the vine. Our Father, we again come before you in humble prayer. Father, again, thanking you for Jesus' love for us, that he was willing to die for us. Father, we pray that as we take of this fruit of the vine, the emblem of that precious blood was given for us, pray, Father, again, you would be with us in our minds and our hearts. May we take of it in a manner that's pleasing in your sight. Father, we thank you so much and ask you to bless it. In Christ, let me pray. Amen.
Every Sunday, we remember the Lord's sacrifice through this communion service. We also make it a habit of uh, a practice of, of giving back part of what we have earned throughout the week so that the work of the church might be carried on just as the first century church did. Um, if you've not done so before you leave, make sure you put your contributions back there in that one of those yellow containers. Uh, at this time, though, let's offer another prayer for the, the, the offering. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much, dear Lord, for all that you've blessed us with. We're grateful for all that we have, our family and our friends and our homes and you know, jobs and just everything you've blessed us with. Father, we pray that you help us always be mindful of all you have blessed us with and always be willing to share and support the church here as, as needed. Father, we, we ask that you watch over the money that is collected this day, but it be used in a good and wise manner. In Christ's name we pray, and amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 66. Hymn number 66. It's called Beautiful. <clears throat> so at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. Beautiful robes of white, beautiful hands of white, beautiful robes of white, with a shout of white, beautiful crown. Beautiful, 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 beautiful
What will you do with Jesus? 740. This time with the Christian. Good morning. It's good to see each one of you here with us this morning. Uh, if you've not been with us lately, we are in the book of Mark. This week we're in Mark chapter 12. We're going to finish out Mark chapter 12 today. This has been a chapter, uh, really Mark 11 and 12 have been a chapter of condemnation for the Jewish leadership. They uh, have not submitted and they refuse to submit to Jesus' authority. Back in Mark chapter 1, Jesus announces his kingdom. He is here to take back the kingdom from the Jewish leadership. They have done what is wrong. And they refuse to submit to Jesus' authority. And so he is condemning them in the strongest possible terms today in Mark chapter 12. Um, We are in verse 35. Mark chapter 12, verse 35. You'll recognize uh, Jesus' question from the verse Casey read for us today because he, Jesus pulls this question from Psalm 110. It is the most quoted psalm, the most quoted Old Testament reference, as a matter of fact, in the entire Bible. Um, this psalm is quoted, uh, I think it's like over 30 times, or referenced over 30 times in the New Testament. It's quoted directly seven different times. And so this Psalm 110 is an incredibly important psalm, and I'm sure you uh, will recognize it when we get to it. Verse 35, he says, And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. You see, that that last little part, the great throng, the people are hearing Jesus. And they're submitting to him in droves. At this point, he's got thousands of Jewish people. Just the average Jewish person is listening to what Jesus says. And a great many of them are submitting to him, to his authority. They're bowing to him. But the Jewish leadership is just not having it. He is taking away their authority. He's taking away their place. And they're scared that they're going to lose um, their, their acclaim. All the people looking at them, all the people coming to them uh, to answer all the questions, all their authority, all their prestige and power, they're afraid they're going to lose it all. And that's the plan. They're right. You know, Jesus has come to take the kingdom away from them and to, 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 to give it back to, to God, to himself. His question here, though, we might phrase it as, Sit down, let's, let's talk about this. Because you guys have missed something. Psalm 110 is an incredibly important passage, not just to us, but even to them. Even to the first century Jews, they would have known this passage. It, it would have, they studied it. They would have had it memorized. In fact, the entire book of Psalms would have come very readily off their lips. Um, but especially certain Psalms would have been at the very front of their minds. And this is one of those ones that... They were very familiar with. They just hadn't taken the time to pull all the threads. Uh, In Mark, we've talked a lot about taking the time to pull the threads, to follow the breadcrumbs, if you will, uh, that Mark's trying to get to us, that he's trying to get us to to, to follow his train of thought, and he leaves us breadcrumbs, uh, or he wants us to pull these threads. And they just haven't done that. They haven't taken the time. They haven't had the forethought to do that for, for Psalm 110. So Jesus says... Let's sit down. Let's, let's think about this verse for a little bit. Get comfortable. 
you know, let's, let's talk about the implications of Psalm 110. David writes this passage, and in case you, you were thinking maybe David was mistaken, he writes it via the Holy Spirit. And so this is inspired. Jesus is setting up his case right now, right? So he's looking at the Jews and saying, well, David wrote this. You know, the great king David wrote this. There is none other in all of Israelite history that is more honored than David. He is the penultimate Jew. He is the one that all other kings are measured up against. And in fact, most, if not all of, uh, Jewish people were measured up to him. Are you righteous like David is? Or are you not? And so, Jesus says, David wrote Psalm 110 by the Holy Spirit. It's inspired. And he said these words, The Lord said to my Lord. That's a little confusing, isn't it? How's the Lord talking to himself? Well, you got to kind of start pulling the threads, right? And so go back to the original language and figure out what he's talking about here. This first Lord is Yahweh. That's what, how we might pronounce it. Um, Yahweh is God's personal name. It, it, it's what the Jewish people knew him by. And so this first, excuse me, this first Lord is what you would think of as God. That's what Jesus is saying. Yahweh said to my Lord... That second Lord is a different term, though. It's Adonai. It's usually a term re referencing deity himself. In fact, Lord, if you, look in your, and if you look in your translation, that first Lord might be in all caps. Some translations have, have Yahweh, his personal name, in all caps, and differentiating it from this word, Adonai, which is also translated Lord, but Maybe a better translation would be sovereign master. It's complete, right? Lord's a fine translation for it, but in this context, it makes it a little confusing because the Lord said to my Lord. So maybe we should make a note here that Yahweh said to my master, my sovereign master. Now, who would be David's master? Who was David's sovereign because to the first century Jew, and rightly so, nobody, no human, is David's master. Certainly not his son, right? It was common knowledge that in the first century that this psalm, Psalm 110, was a messianic psalm. We throw that term around a lot. Messianic means Messiah. So this is a psalm about the Messiah. They knew that the Messiah was going to come through David's line. He was going to be one of David's descendants. And so Jesus says, take what you know and match it up with Scripture, and you're going to find some things that don't make sense because what you think you know is wrong. Remember, this second section of Mark, Mark 9 through 16, is all about Jesus convincing them that the Messiah has to suffer. It's not the conquering king. When they heard Messiah, they didn't think of the cross. They thought of a war horse and a sword and him kicking the Romans out. And then he was going to spend the rest of his days ruling on David's throne. He would have brought back all of Israel's glory that they enjoyed under David and Solomon's reign. He was going to be the Messiah. And Jesus comes in in Mark 9 through 16 and says, The definition that you're using for Messiah is wrong. You're not... <laughs> You ever seen Princess Bride? This word, it does not mean what you think it means. Uh, the, the Messiah, 
does not mean what they think it means. And so Jesus is going to prove that to them here. He's trying to reason with them. He's trying to use logic and scripture, things that they would have been very familiar with. This is their wheelhouse, you know, logic and scripture. That's what the scribes do. And so he says, well, sit down and study the Bible with me for a little bit. Open your Bibles to Psalm 110, verse 1, and make that make sense for me. If David's son is really going to be this conquering king, he's completely human because he's David's descendant, right? That's what they thought. They didn't, they had no idea that the Messiah was going to be God. They thought the Messiah was going to be human. I mean, just a human like us, like like us, 100% human. Jesus was 100% human. He's also 100% God. Very odd. But that's, that's how it worked. And so Jesus says, sit down and study the Bible with me. Psalm 110, verse 1. Yahweh says to my sovereign master, no son of David would be considered by any Jew to be his sovereign master. It would not matter what type of kingdom he ruled over. It would not matter how big an army this new son had. It would not matter how big his kingdom was. David will not refer to one of his sons as his sovereign master. It would not be appropriate. That term is reserved for someone special. It's not just someone you respect. It's not someone who's just higher than you are. Right? It's more. It demands more. We kind of understand that today because what dad is going to call his son a sovereign master? I guarantee I will never look at one of my sons <laughs> and say that. Don't wait for it. It won't happen. David's doing the exact same thing here. It just doesn't make sense. Culturally, uh, theologically, it just doesn't make sense. And so Jesus is saying something else is going on here. You're missing something. When things don't make sense, when they won't line up just right, you're missing something. And so he's trying to get them to start pulling these threads. Follow this breadcrumb. Think it through. Take some time. Work through this because this is important. What role is the Messiah going to play? Because he's not just human. He can't be just human. Because David called him sovereign master. And he said, the Lord said, sit here at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Until I allow you to conquer all of your enemies. This is not just a human. It's not just one of David's descendants. Solomon's kingdom was bigger and better than David's. Right? Everybody with me? Solomon had more silver and gold than David could have dreamed of. Things were good under David's reign. But under Solomon, silver was so common you could walk around and pick it up off the ground. Things were good in, David, in Solomon's reign. In fact, he made Israel more well-respected throughout the world. Uh, he also increased the borders of the kingdom. The land mass was bigger under Solomon. David didn't call Solomon sovereign master. Why? Because it wasn't appropriate. It's not the right title for one of your descendants. It's a title for deity. And so what is Jesus trying to get them to see here? What's he trying to get across? He's trying to reform their thinking because they're so stuck in this idea that 
conquering king. He's on a war horse. That's what the Messiah is going to do. He's one of David's kids. He's one of David's descendants. But he's going to restore David's kingdom. And Jesus says, no, that's not. It, you're thinking about it wrong. Sit down and look at Psalm 110 with me. He is one of David's descendants, but that he's more than that. He's not just a descendant. He's also deity. He's also David's sovereign master. So what can we derive, what can we learn from this little section? Here, We're not going far. We're going to finish out uh, the rest of, of Mark 12. So I just wanted to take some time. I think this whole section summarizes everything that he said in Mark chapter 12. So I just want to take some time here and think through the ramifications of this for us. What is this? What's he trying to, 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 to get across to us from what he's saying here? We will be judged by the words in this book. You better know them. Right? That's the, that's the scribes' problems. They were teachers of the law. If you've got a theological question, who do you go to? Well, in their day, you walk up to a scribe and you say, I, I don't understand this, 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 this passage in Scripture. Can you explain it to me? And he would sit down and he would say, well, yeah, this is what it means. Jesus sits down with the scribes and he says, you don't know Scripture. And you're going to be judged by it. You better know it. The same's true for us. Turn over to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. I've got them on the board for you. Maybe a little small. But John chapter 12, 48 through 49. We've got two, two references here I want you to pay attention to. One in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. John chapter 12, 48 through 49, he says, The one who rejects me, this is Jesus speaking, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Where do we find those words? Are those words lost to us? No. Those words are right here in this book. He wrote them down for us. Right? He didn't, he didn't just let them blow away into eternity. He wrote them down for us for posterity's sake so that we can know them. Verse 49, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. These words are what will judge me on the last day. I better know it. Right? I better know the Bible. So I can see whether I'm matching up to the standard or not. The standard's clear, right? Jesus is the standard. He says, are, are you matching up to me or are you not? Now, that's a little tricky thing because what's Romans say? In verse, chapter 3, verse 23, Paul reminds us that we all fall short of the glory of God. We're not going to match up to him, right? So how, how can I get to that standard? Well, the rest of Scripture tells me that baptism washes away my sins. Immersion into His blood washes away my sins, and it, He views me as matching up to His standard. It's not, not something I did. I obeyed. I submitted, right? It's not something I did, though. I submitted. I obeyed. And so now He views me as matching up to His standard. If I don't know this book, though, I'm going to fall short. I'm going to miss something. We have to take the time to study it. These guys thought they knew it, right? 
The scribes were positive. They knew it. But they didn't. They had missed something that was right under their nose. If you walk up to a first century first century scribe and you say hey quote Psalm 110 for me he says I'll do you one better I'll quote you Psalm 100 through 150 how about that 110's right there in the middle they could have done it they knew it backwards and forwards but they never paid attention to it we know this book right a lot of us know these stories so well because you've heard them since you were a kid for some of us it's new and we're learning these stories You've got to take the time to pull the threads, to follow the breadcrumbs, to see what he has for you. You've got to know this book. Hosea 4 verse 6 references a time in Israel's history when they didn't. Listen to what he says. Hosea 4 verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Hosea has a couple of children by um, a lady named Gomer. Lady is a uh, generous term there. But he names his children, not my children, because God is kicking Israel out of relationship with him. Because they've, <coughs> excuse, excuse me, they've rejected knowledge. They don't want to submit. They don't want to learn. They don't want to put in the time to pull the bread comes. They don't care what he has to say. They're going to do what they want to do no matter what he says. And so he says, you're not my people. I'm done. He cut them off. They're no longer his. When they pray to him, their words don't go any farther than the air. He's not listening. When they sacrifice, the aroma doesn't go any farther than the sky. He's not pleased by it. He's cut them off. They're no longer his. It's something we can't even fathom, right? Even if, even if you tell your child, you're on your own, you've made, you've made some mistakes, uh, I'm going to do tough love and I'm cutting you off, figure it out on your own, even if we do that, there's still a part of us that says, come back, you know. Israel had reached a point where they had so walked away from God that there was no returning. He's, he's cut them off. And in fact, Hosea prophesies to the northern nation of Israel. And right after Hosea prophesies, Hosea and Amos are contemporaries. Um, and right after these two prophets prophesy, in 722 B.C., the Assyrian war machine comes into the northern nation of Israel and they destroy them. It's not the Assyrians that did it. It's God that judged them. Why? Because they didn't know them. They rejected knowledge. So, so dangerous, right? He's written a book to tell us what he wants from us. It's not like we have to wonder. If you can read, you can figure out what he wants from his people. We have to put in the time to pull the threads, to follow the breadcrumbs, to figure out what he wants from us so that we can be pleasing to him. Because literally nothing else matters. If God's on your side, who can be against you? 
But if God's not on your side, it doesn't matter who else is. These people had made all these alliances, but none of them mattered. They were destroyed in the end. We better know the book. Second part. We don't want to be like the scribes. We have to know God. We have to know what He says. We also have to submit to it, right? You remember the scribe from, uh, from last week? He's, Jesus said, very close to the kingdom of God. What was the one thing he was missing? He was very close, but he hadn't yet submitted. He saw that he needed to submit. He just hadn't done it yet, right? Some of us are there. We see the need. We just haven't pulled the trigger yet. We just haven't done it. We just haven't submitted. We haven't given our lives over to Him so that we can match up in God's eyes to the standard that Jesus has set for us. I can't do that on my own. There's not enough good things I can do in this life. I could serve everyone that I meet for the rest of my life and I would not be worthy to match up to Jesus' standard. It's not something I can do. It's something I have to Listen to how he says to do it. And then I submit to that thing. The way that he said that I match up to Jesus' standard is through baptism. He's clear in scripture. I have to know this book. Second thing you need to understand about these, these scribes. Not only did they not understand the book. Not only did they not understand God. They wanted the acclaim of leadership while not actually taking what was necessary to be a leader. Let me explain. John 12, 38 through 40. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts. But they devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. He says, These guys like the... Everyone looking at them. They like the, the feel of leadership. So that when they walk into the marketplace, people will part. They'll get the respect. They like that. You know what they don't like? Actually leading. They like the respect that a leader gets, but they don't actually like putting in the hard work of leading. And so what's the hard work of leading? Do you remember what the scribe asked Last week, what's the greatest command? Do you remember Jesus' answer? Because that's the answer to, to the question that they're, they're not asking this week. You love God with everything you've got, and you love your neighbor as yourself. That's the hard work of leadership. We lead our culture today, the church needs to lead our culture today. If we don't, what happens to our culture? It just goes farther and farther away. Somebody has to stand in the gap and bring people back to God one by one. That's us. That's the church that Jesus died for. That's our responsibility. That's the responsibility of leadership. How do we do that? I love God with everything I've got. And I love my neighbor like I love myself. That's how we go about leading 
in a culture that doesn't want to follow. And if we're not leading like that, we're going to be condemned just like the scribes were. This is a hard-hitting passage, isn't it? Mark 12 can, can be very difficult to understand. It's not difficult to understand. It's difficult to, to take in, right? It's difficult to hear. Because sometimes, some of these things that Jesus is talking about, we think, that's me. I'm in that position. And, and it hurts, right? And so we push back. That's not what a disciple does. A disciple does what? Mark says a disciple submits. I hear hard things and my heart's open and I accept those things and I move to make changes in my life. So maybe you've got some changes you need to make today. Uh, Mark 12 can be very, very difficult. The work of leadership is loving God with everything you've got and loving your neighbor as yourself. We show the world how this looks because they don't know. They don't know what love looks like, what sacrificial love looks like. There's some sort of perversion of love that, like, like the, uh, the Messiah word earlier, this word, it doesn't mean what you think it means. Love is sacrificial. Biblical love sacrifices for others. We show the world what that looks like through our lives and through our words. If we're not doing that, we're going to be condemned just like the scribes were. This last part. Jesus finds this very apt illustration against the Pharisees as he's sitting there in the temple. This whole chapter's taken, uh, taken uh, happened in the temple. And as Jesus is sitting there uh, in, the, in the temple, talking with his disciples, teaching these things, he sees this woman. And she's going to do something amazing. Look in verse 41, Mark chapter 12, 41. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. There's 13 receptacles, kind of like our yellow bins in the back for contribution. There's 13 of those things sitting around the temple, the court of the women, where everyone could go. 13 of those receptacles, and you you would put money in there. And the scribes, the Jewish leadership, the rest of the Jewish leadership would come by. They would take the money out of those receptacles and they would help the poor. They would help the widows, the orphans, uh, and they would uh, support the lifestyles of the priests and the Levites. Were they doing all that right? No. But that's what it was intended to do. So many many rich people put in large sums. In verse 42, a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. She put a penny in the, in the contribution plate. Verse 43, And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, truly means pay attention. Pay attention, because this is what he's about to say next is important. Every time you see Jesus say truly, pay attention. That's what he says next is going to be a big deal. Truly I say to you, this widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Even the Pharisee who just came in and put a $1,000 bill in there? Yeah. Even the scribe who just came in and emptied his wallet in there? Yeah. She put in more than all these people who had been contributing these large sums. Verse 44 tells you why. For they all contributed out of their abundance. 
It didn't hurt them to sacrifice this. They didn't miss it. It was just leftover. These guys had some leftover money. Now, in 21st century America, that kind of seems funny. When we say have leftover money, we have a lot of leftover money. Talk to somebody who's in a third world country. They don't have leftover money. You know what you're going to eat tonight? Maybe. Maybe not. You have the money to be able to find it, though. Right? If push comes to shove, you're going to be able to find food tonight and tomorrow night and next year, assuming time runs on as it has. We have an abundance of wealth. These people did too, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all that she had to live on. This woman didn't know what she was going to eat tonight. She didn't have any money to pay for it because she just put it all in the, in the offering box. Now, is Jesus saying you need to do that? I don't think so. I don't, say, I don't think he's saying you have to empty out your wallet into the contribution box. But what he is saying is a couple of things. What you do with your money says something about your faith. Right? What you do with your money says something about your faith. Kelly was telling me this story the other day about these, um, this, these uh, gold miners that uh, were coming back to the States, I think. Oh, man, I should have talked to her before I did this. Um, anyhow, gold miners are on the boat, and they have, because of safety reasons, sewed the gold into their garments. Uh, it's everywhere on them. They're on a ship. Unfortunately, the ship sinks. So what do some of these guys do? They try to swim with their gold-laden garments on. Now, I don't know if you know how that works or not, but gold's heavier than you are. And if you've got enough on it, you can't swim with it on. <laughs> and so you sink. And they found several of these guys had died with their gold-lined outfits <laughs> still on. If they had just pulled off their, <laughs> their coats... They might could have swam ashore, but these guys didn't do that. All that to say, what you do with your money says something about your faith. This woman had enough faith that she gave it all, all she had to eat, all she had to live on. She gave it all to God. And she depended on Him to take care of her. She has a lot of faith. What you do with your money says something about your faith. And so if you're hoarding it like those guys, what's it say about your faith? If you're generous to a fault like this woman, giving it all so that you can rely on God, it says something about your faith. It's also a testing ground. Second thing, um, Jesus, I think, wants us to see here about money. It's a testing ground. Does God care about money? Nope. He can't use it. <laughs> it doesn't do anything for him. He doesn't have any needs that money can fill like we would, right? Money doesn't care. He doesn't care anything about money. And so why is money such a big deal in Scripture and in our lives? Well, money's a testing ground. You ever gave your kid a job? Like maybe when your children were small, you gave them a job, and you looked at it, and you said, well, you could have done that better. You know, like, you kind of half-heartedly did that, or you didn't do it at all, you forgot. So what do you do next time? Do you give them an even more important job? Of course not. 
right? You're trying to train them to accept the responsibility of doing a job. And so if they do that job well, the next time, after it's consistently done well several times, the next time you give them a more important job, right? Something that the stakes are a little bit higher on. That's exactly, I think, what God is doing with money and us. He doesn't care anything about money. Money doesn't mean anything to him at all. It means a big deal to us. And so he gives us money. He says, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to honor me with it? Or are you going to be greedy with it? If you honor me with it, I'll give you the stuff that's really important. You know what's really important to God? It's not money. Souls are a big deal to God. Your neighbor is a big deal to God. His kingdom is a big deal to him. And so if you're faithful with your money, he'll start giving you the stuff that's really important. If you're not faithful with your money, guess what? You don't get the really important stuff. These scribes are indicted by this woman who gives a single penny because she had been faithful. She had been generous with her money. These scribes who were just giving out of their abundance, they didn't really feel it. There was no pain in the sacrifice of their money for them. It's leftover. And so what was really important wasn't entrusted to them, but to the woman. Faith, maturity, souls, God's kingdom. Those things are given to us if we are found faithful with the things that don't really matter, like money. Mark 12 is difficult, right? It's not hard to understand. Jesus is clear. But it's hard to, to take in. It can, it can be painful to listen through Mark chapter 12 because it indicts us, doesn't it? It shows us where our weaknesses are in glaring reality. So this morning, maybe you're ready to match up to God's standard, to leave all this stuff behind you and match up to His standard through the power of baptism. You're immersed into His blood and you have your sins washed away and you match up to His standard. And then you lead a faithful life. One that's characterized by focusing on the important things. Maybe you've gotten distracted. This, uh, this, this season has been an easy one to be distracted in. <laughs> maybe, you've already, maybe you've been distracted. And you just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God would have you to be. We want to aid you in any way we can this morning. Please come as we stand and sing. Jesus is standing in part of tall, Prisoners forsaken, betrayed by all. Hark on what needeth our silent call. What will we do with Jesus? What will we do with Jesus, my friend? There's all you can but be. Someday Jesus is standing on top.
morning. We have a few announcements to go with before we're dismissed. Uh, reminder, Sunday for the Savior starts tonight at 5. This is for the young kids. And reminder to our young at heart of the activity schedule for Tuesday, June 15th. You'll meet here at 10 for in the morning for the devotional gather, followed by lunch at Big Boy. Uh, volunteers are still needed for summer mowing. Sign-up sheets located in the four-year board if you can help with the summer mowing. On a prayer list, uh, Jennifer Ward had a full knee replacement Thursday in Columbus and is now home. Yvonne Cornell is in Heritage Care Center on Veteran Memorial Boulevard. She is undergoing physical therapy for knee replacement and doing well. Visitors are welcome, but the visiting hours are over at 6 p.m. Remember Martha Boso in your prayers. She's scheduled for surgery on Thursday. And Charlie will be having laser surgery uh, one week from Tuesday at Cabell. And Eloise Hayes had a bad fall this past week. Uh, no broken bones, but it's having a hard time right now. So if you can, send a note of encouragement to Eloise. I remember Kristen, Rusty, Carol Galloway, Donna Hennig, Trey Davis, Eugene Stover, and others on our prayer list. And also um, sympathy to the Curry family. Doug Curry passed away last weekend. Um, I do not know his service arrangements, but uh, simply to that family as well. Is there any other announcements that need to be made? If not, we will have a closing song and a closing word of prayer. Let's please stand again. I'll sing hymn number 602. 602. <clears throat> we'll sing the first and last verse, and after that, uh, Brother Andy Pittman will have a prayer called Sweet By and By.
You want to pray with me? Our Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come together and praise your name. Father, we thank you for the family that we have here that, we, that encourages us and, and builds us and supports each other. Father, we thank you for the family you've created for us. Lord, we pray that you, you bless us as we depart here, that we may be invigorated by your love, and Father, help spread that into the world. Father, watch over us in all that we do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. <clears throat>